The opinions and statements of the individuals featured in this episode of Breaking Bread with Brilliant Babes should in no way be taken as advice, as our guest is not a health practitioner or medical provider. This podcast is for general, educational, and entertainment purposes only. This is Breaking Bread with Brilliant Babes. I'm your host, Tatiana Jimenez. We're recording today from my tiny apartment in San Francisco, and I'm joined remotely in D.C. by our guest, Yuka Polavina. Hi, everyone. Hi, thanks so much for being on the show. Yuka is a lecturer at the University of Hawaii and focuses on immigration and multiculturalism, but she's also a writer who focuses on postpartum people. For any first-time listeners out there, our purpose is to shed some light on everyday people doing brilliant things. I invite them into my home, cook a meal, and then we eat together and chat about their careers and how they got where they are today. Today I'm enjoying vegetarian quinoa chili. Well, Yuka, can you start by telling us a little about what you're doing currently and your career history up until this point? Sure. So... Right now, I am teaching at the University of Hawaii for the American Studies Department, and I get the privilege of teaching two courses, one on multiculturalism in Hawaii and another one um, more broadly about sports in America. Um, And my career path has not been linear at all, (laughs) and I think with a lot of your guests, it's um, similar. They mm-hmm. haven't had linear paths, um, which has made life very adventurous. I'm actually born and raised in Toronto, and I was always fascinated with sports and education. So my background is in physical education and health. And I was planning on being a PE teacher, but I decided I wanted to go to Japan for a year to teach English. Oh, cool. And when I was there, I had met so many people from around the world, and I decided I wasn't quite ready to go back home to Toronto to get my teaching licensing to become a teacher. So I ended up moving to Hawaii for school. It was between California and Hawaii, and I wanted to do some international development work or some sort of community work, still kind of in the education vein, but really trying to reach a broader audience or a broader community. And I started in social work, and I realized after one semester that it was not for me. I would take all of my work home with me and cry every single day, and it would just be too difficult. And I was actually more interested in doing community-based education. So Mm -hmm. I went into public health because they do a lot of community-based education there. And yeah, that's where I got really interested in, I guess, issues of like culture and racism and multiculturalism and the education experiences of people of color um, and marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. And actually with maternal and child health as well, because it's a very underrepresented community, especially in the medical space. And then From there, I still had this itch to want to be a teacher, so I tried to become a teacher again in Hawaii, but the red tape was a little too too much for me to handle, so I just wanted to get into a classroom as soon as possible, and there's this really cool PhD program that I had heard of in American Studies, and they would put me into a classroom right away, so I ended up going to this PhD program so I could teach right away and then do more research on um, the politics of 
the body and women's politics and women's health and trying to learn a little bit more about how we can humanize medicine. So that's sort of how I got into the PhD program. And yeah, and I went through the PhD program teaching as a university lecturer for the past six years. Uh-huh. And I graduated last year. And that's Congratulations. sort of where I, yeah. Yeah, thank <laughs> I you. know it's a lot of work. So that was actually really long winded. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's <realized>. okay. <laughs> no, that was like really like concise too, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. Great. Yeah. I, as I was talking, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going on and on. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It's... <laughs> Yeah, people have like longer winded descriptions of like okay. their yeah. So that was that was very concise. But yeah, for, for the listeners, a full disclosure: Yuka and I both know Pahol, who was also on the episode. So they went through their like PhD experience together at the University of Hawaii. And I know Pahol said that his journey was like pretty. It like it was not easy. It was it was really um, challenging. So I know how much work goes into that. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So now is the, is the plan to continue to be a lecturer and be in the academic world and continue writing on perhaps like what you wrote, I guess the same subjects in your dissertation, or do you plan to eventually kind of branch out more into like the, the postpartum health arena? Yeah, I'm kind of at an interesting juncture in my life and career because Mm -hmm. we're in this really transitional space. We're thinking about where else in the world we want to live, whether it's Hawaii here in D.C. or my hometown in Toronto or maybe even somewhere abroad. We're not entirely sure. Mm -hmm. And same thing with my career. I love teaching. I don't I know for sure I'm not going to give that up. Like whatever I end up doing teaching will be some sort of component of it. Um, But I also love writing. And that's Mm -hmm. why I started the blog Mm -hmm. in the first place. And I, I, there's just so much great energy that I get from taking what I know and writing it for a broader audience beyond the two people in academia who will read my dissertation or a published article or something like that. I'm Mm -hmm. really interested in public knowledge and public education. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of if I can find a career where I can do both I think Mm -hmm. I would be completely set but as of right now one has always taken more precedence over the other Mm -hmm. and in the post-graduation months which has only been like maybe eight months or so um, I've focused a little bit more on the writing so I've been doing freelance writing in addition to blogging um, and now the freelance writing is kind of taking over and I need to get back to the blogging Uh because it's been collecting dust over the past month or two yeah (laughs) I'm I'm just trying to stay open to where the universe takes me Mm -hmm. I guess but I know that writing and education will be a big part of it Mm -hmm. yeah that's great well that's a great kind of segue into our next question which is when was the moment that you felt that you really broke into your industry or role so whether in academia or in, you know, your special interest outside of academia? Yeah. Well, when it comes to academia, education was a really big part of my personal story. I come from this pretty underprivileged community. Um, I grew up in like an immigrant working class community and have even graduated from high school. And education was this really powerful 
ticket to a different opportunity, a different trajectory of my life. Um, so that's always been really important to me. But I think the moment I realized like, hey, I'm actually kind of good at this academia stuff was in my last year of my undergraduate mm-hmm. program, I did an independent study thesis. And it was about comparing Japanese women and Western women's views on their own physicality and I got to present it at this undergraduate conference and I got pretty good reception from it and I realized like hey I like doing this I like doing research on things that not a lot of people know or are talking about Mm -hmm. and being able to share it with other people so that was sort of this ego boosting or affirming experience Mm -hmm. in terms of breaking into this academic space, yeah. which is why grad school didn't feel as intimidating to me anymore, because I felt like, hey, this is something I could do. And I can probably be pretty good at it as well. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the blogging stuff, breaking into the blogging stuff, I just, I, I've always loved writing and using writing as a form of expressing myself and sharing information. And after I had my son in 2015, that just I mean, I don't know if I broke out into it or if the internet came to me and decided that I need to share the story because nobody was talking about the physical healing that has to happen when you give birth. And sometimes the healing isn't so smooth. And I just felt really compelled to write about that story Mm -hmm. online. So I don't know if it was really a breakout situation or if it was a break into it and just charge forward with this information kind Mm -hmm. of situation. Yeah. yeah, that's really wonderful. I, I love how, like you kind of mentioned earlier about like where the universe will take you. And it sounds like, yeah, the universe has kind of like brought you to this, this space. <laughs> and it sounds like yeah. you're like adding a lot of value to people's lives and a lot of great information to the internet, <laughs> which is good. I sure hope so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, along your journey with, you know, either interest that you have, did you have a mentor and are you a mentor to others? I have had a lot of people that I look up to. I don't know if we had that formal mentor-mentee relationship, Mm -hmm. but definitely a handful of my teachers really mentored me along the way. One of my guidance counselors actually in high school was also the volleyball coach And he really took me under his wing because I was kind of going down this path that was going to fulfill my statistical odds of not finishing high school. And he sort of said, hey, instead of going to the park and getting drunk or high, why don't you come to my office and we'll just chat about life? And then he eventually realized I'm pretty good at sports as well so he put me on the volleyball team and not only that he made me the captain so I was forced to be a leader and that was kind of weird at first but then I realized okay like I have a role I have meaning and purpose and it gave me a reason to go to school stay in school not flake on other people um and so I just had and and he wasn't the only person. There were other couple of phys ed teachers and my English teacher. Like they were just sort of there to help mentor me through the difficulties of high school, really for mm-hmm. anybody, yeah. um, and give me really a good sense of purpose and a role as well. So that's been very informative for me. Yeah. More recently, my graduate, or not my graduate, my dissertation chair, she is definitely a mentor for me. She helped me see that my dissertation didn't have to be this overly academic 
project that isn't going to resonate with a lot of people because mm. I told her at the very beginning of my degree that I wasn't interested in writing for people stuck in the ivory tower. And so she was very nurturing of that desire and she really helped me find different ways to write creatively, to write less like an academic dissertation and more mm. like a really interesting story that people outside of the academic space would be interested in reading. And there was a lot of skill associated with that and the skills that I needed to learn to do that. And she really mentored me through mm -hmm. those different steps. And she was just so encouraging of my work-life balance, which mm -hmm. I think is really rare in the academic space, especially being a young mom, especially yeah. going through all these medical things, being a mom. Mm -hmm. So having a mentor to navigate those things is really important. Right. Yeah. And then just your in your experience of, so I, I have not given birth. I have not, I don't have kids, but I feel like I, I slightly, even just a little bit kind of understand the experience peripherally. Like my sister um, had my niece three years ago and then a lot of my friends have had babies or are still having babies. But um, I know for them, a huge resource has been just like Facebook groups and like okay. mom groups. So I guess, you know, in your experience, having your son and then deciding to like write about your story, have you found your own kind of online community of, mo of moms or people going through similar things? And have you developed... IRL or in real life relationships with these internet people or internet friends? Yeah, you know, the ironic thing about what I do blogging about postpartum health is that mm. a lot of my community and connections have been in real life, even though I'm writing for this online community. And what ended mm. up happening was I would write and post about my experiences and how I got help and things that we might want to look out for. And I put them on my personal Facebook and then all of my friends who have who have had kids came out of the woodwork telling me their stories and telling me how they oh. want to share their stories and contribute. And then it started a new dialogue among my existing friends. And initially I was like, how come you didn't tell me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, why did you tell me about all these yeah. things? And then another part of me was like, this is great. Like we would have never had these conversations otherwise. And no one really taught us how to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. And then um, I found uh, some really amazing people here in DC who are practitioners in this space. And I've sort of created my community among them, even though I'm not a practitioner for perinatal health, I sort of inserted myself as this ally of practitioners and yeah. just interviewed the crap out of a bunch of them and um, sort of created a community among them. So I didn't feel as much the need to forge online communities, but having interviewed and talked to a lot of other women, I do know that those communities have been really important for them um, and really validating and really assuring and even a great source of resources, local and national resources. So I'm just so glad that they're out there. Mm -hmm. I, I just haven't had the opportunity to super duper engage in them just because a lot of my community and support are in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool.
so far along your your journey, what has been your biggest career obstacle so far slash shittiest moment? Um, sure, the shittiest moment part. I'm going to focus on that <laughs> because yeah. it it's just um, in my head. But when I was going through my PhD program, I got pregnant and I also had my son and. I remember feeling so, I don't know what the right word was, but I felt upset that it came as such a surprise to me, mm-hmm. given that I have this background in health education and in women and maternal child health and public health. And mm-hmm. I had um, been so involved in women's health issues and gender equality issues and things like that, I thought I would be a lot more prepared for the birth of my son. And I'm sure a lot of parents are probably laughing. <laughs> Some of your audience members who are parents are, are laughing because you realize no matter how much you prepare for something like this, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks and you mm-hmm. are just going to feel completely inadequately prepared. But for me, I had a really tough labor and delivery. I was induced with Pitocin and I labored for almost an entire day and I pushed for seven hours, which apparently is a very long time. Most doctors would have insisted on a C-section after three or four hours and I had a vacuum-assisted vaginal delivery. So I tore to the third degree and for those of you who aren't familiar, I there's four degrees of tearing and the third one is the, so it goes from one, two, three, four, four being the worst. And I had a third degree tearing. I don't know how graphic you Mm -hmm. want me to be. No, that's okay. That's life. It's fine. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So people can look it up if they want to know what the different degrees are. Um, and the recovery, the physical recovery was very, very hard. And I had urinary incontinence I had fecal incontinence I had gas incontinence Mm -hmm. it hurt to sit down for like months on end I couldn't stand up and walk I couldn't even hold my baby comfortably for for a couple for the first several weeks um and I don't I don't think I had postpartum depression but I definitely didn't feel great about myself and I can't imagine anyone who has physical issues being able to feel good about themselves and vice versa. I think the mind and body are connected in that way. And so that was a very, very low and dark moment in my life because I had these expectations for myself that I would be so happy to have this child because we had a really hard time conceiving. So I felt Mm -hmm. like I should be so happy that this finally happened for me. And I wasn't because I was in so much physical pain. And that's actually what inspired me to write this blog mama on the mend i realized that there wasn't a lot of information on how to heal from third degree tears how to heal your perineum when it gets ripped apart how to um deal with vaginal heaviness after you give birth or how to deal with scars whether it's c-section scars or perineal scars And there wasn't a lot of information, good information from credible sources about those things. And I really wanted to fill that gap. I wanted to provide a little bit of that information. Not that I'm an expert in doing those things, but I saw people who could help me. So I interviewed them and I talked to them and I would link out to their resources so readers could learn a little bit more about 
about physical health and physical healing after giving birth. Yeah, that's incredible. And thank you for sharing that because I know that that's a really personal story, but that is exactly what you're trying to do on your website is like be more open about these things and like encourage people to talk about them. And yeah, earlier when you were saying that, you know, you wanted your sh- to share your story, I wasn't sure like how much information you would want to share because it's very personal, but it totally makes sense that you would want to like get more <laughs> details because that's what we need to do. Like, people who are giving birth they need to know all of the information like you said yourself like you felt very ill-prepared for what was going to happen to your body mm-hmm. and you're right like in tv and movies or just like what we hear from people who have given birth they're like it's the most amazing thing that could ever happen to you it's like magical <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> but it's like really traumatic for a lot of people and, and if I can add, like, I mm-hmm. want to be very careful not to scare women either, mm-hmm. right? I think yeah. there's a fine balance between wanting to share these real stories and, and like, I, I guess that's what it is. Like, I don't want to scare women into thinking right. that it's this, like, crazy traumatic thing. Because the actual birth itself, like, even though I pushed for seven hours, it didn't feel unnatural to me. It didn't mm. feel like I wasn't supposed to be doing this. I didn't feel like my birth was traumatic. Uh-huh. But... What happened afterward was a little unsettling because I wasn't expecting it. And I want people to know that this stuff is very treatable and it's Mm -hmm. very healable and that I have healed and that I have gone through a lot of treatment and things get better. But we have to be able to speak about it to get the kind of help that we need and to Mm -hmm. advocate for ourselves to get the kind of help that we need. So really, my goal isn't to scare people and juxtapose against this idea of like, oh, you're going to have a baby and it's going to be the best time of your life because that was the message I got. And it was kind of the opposite of that. But I also don't want to tell people that it's going to be this crazy, scary, traumatic thing and you're going to tear and it's going to hurt. But I do want to say it is possible. And if that happens Mm -hmm. to you, don't worry because there's a lot of treatment. There's a lot of care. There's a lot of solution that can go into it and you're not alone. So that's sort of the message I really want to send to people out there absolutely and then also another thing that my friends and I have like joked about in the past is like when they're getting ready to give birth and they're like they were really scared but we just kept saying like the the mantra was people have been giving birth for I don't know a million years or so Mm -hmm. however long humans have been on the earth so Mm -hmm. like I think they'll be fine yeah yes there are all of these other things that they're gonna have to deal with but the doing it part humans Mm -hmm. are pretty experienced in giving birth yeah yeah Yeah. many people have done it before (laughs) right right and humans have this extraordinary ability to self-heal as well Mm -hmm. but in my situation I just wasn't self-healing in the way that I should have been. So Mm. it was really important that I got the help and the treatment that I needed to intervene. So I did see pelvic physical therapists um, Mm. because my OBGYN ignored me and my midwife ignored me. And there just wasn't a lot of help and care in the traditional medical industry for things like that. So Mm. that's another sort of thread in the website is that I really try to advocate for different routes of healing as well. Nice. Well, that's great. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. On to like a little bit more positive stuff, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) 
what was what was your biggest opportunity slash best moment oh my best moment I have been so fortunate I've had a lot of great moments in my career but for sure up until now it's it has been doing my dissertation and finishing my dissertation mm-hmm. it I mean, I know a lot of people must say this about their own dissertation and work, but mine is really the best. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the coolest thing. And 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 I'll tell you why objectively, because I got to write about this Chinese, ethnically Chinese woman from Canada who ended up representing this tiny little African nation called Mauritius in the 2012 Beach Volleyball Olympics. <laughs> and I got to go and I got to watch her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and she just has this amazing story. Like her, she's Chinese-Canadian. She's a Chinese immigrant-Canadian, but she was born in Mauritius because her great-great-great-grandparents went there after slavery. So you know how after slavery, there was another set of indentured laborers and they tended to be Asian, Chinese, or Indian. Mm -hmm. So her great-great-grandparents or ancestors were part of that cohort. And Mm -hmm. so I got to talk about that that history of her life and then I got to talk about the really complex nature of her Olympic journey she had to compete against all these other African nations and they were wondering what is this Chinese girl doing in the pan-African games etc etc so I got to talk about like sport politics I got to uncover the histories of the Olympics and some of the not so savory parts of the history of Olympics Mm. And then I got to just spend a lot of time with this really amazing woman who also happens to be a childhood friend of mine, which is oh how my gosh. Yeah. I met her. Yeah, so I am and a really good childhood friend mm-hmm. of mine. So I got to write this incredible story about her life and how it's important that we talk about people who have multiple ethnic identities, multiple national identities, multiple ties. And it was so relevant to what was happening in the world as I was writing it, which was the 2017 election and Trump coming into office Mm -hmm. and a lot of really nasty discussions about borders and citizenship and who belongs and who doesn't. And here's this beautiful story about this woman and how she confounds all of these ideas that we have about citizenship and borders and nationalities and how it really is about recognizing our lives are part of these greater global powers and movements of people Mm -hmm. and I got to tell all of these things through her story and I also got to write a short story about her as well in the dissertation I got Mm. to put in like all these really difficult but important interviews or or transcript of difficult and important interviews with her I got to look at all of these amazing photos from her traveling all over the world as a competitor an international beach volleyball competitor um it was just the project of a lifetime and I that's for sure like the highlight of my professional career so far yeah that's amazing and um yeah I've read a little bit about your dissertation on your website and I didn't realize that you knew her personally that's very cool but also like the, the whole story reminds me of I think that this would make for I I know you said you wrote like a short story about her in your dissertation, but I feel like this could be a really cool children's book as well. (laughs) I think that would be really fun. That's incredible. So that's definitely yeah, that's definitely like a best moment. (laughs) Yeah. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of what you're doing. You're really Uh like shedding light on the lives of these quote unquote ordinary people that aren't Mm -hmm. in our 
on most people's radar, but who are doing extraordinary or really interesting things. Yeah. And she's one of those people. She didn't mm -hmm. win the gold medal in beach volleyball. She wasn't even a high profile athlete with sponsors or anything, but she mm -hmm. just lived this incredible, extraordinary life that yeah. I thought everyone should know about. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so great. Very cool. Well, on this show, I also like to highlight what I call hidden talents. So things that are significant to our lives that we might not add to our resumes or are necessarily work-related. So in your case, you mentioned that you are um, you like to practice creative nonfiction writing. So did you want to talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I feel like that spirit kind of got channeled to me through my mom because mm -hmm. she was a writer, but she also like dabbled with cartoon and just shoot she, she just had like a creative edge or flair to her and um I just found it so compelling how people can tell these really wonderful beautiful stories about their lives and how that could be a potential medium for me to tell my own stories or tell mm -hmm. stories of my personal observations so I took a couple of courses at the University of Hawaii on creative nonfiction writing or autobiographical writing or biographical writing. And it's just been something that I've really enjoyed doing a lot. And mm -hmm. every time I'm having like an emotional moment, then I'll like write it out. Or if I'm having like an aha moment or some like an inspirational moment, it's just always been my outlet to mm -hmm. write it out either on paper or on, um, on my computer. And I've been fortunate enough to, um, have been able to do that for my dissertation and include like a short yeah. story there mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, it's just sort of my fun, creative outlet and maybe yeah. more will come of it. Maybe not. I'm not too sure, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm also, I'm like pretty impressed to hear cause I, you know, your academic life involves a lot of writing and then your blog involves a lot of writing. So it's interesting yeah. to hear that like your other hidden thing that you like to do is write, but like in a different way. <laughs> So it's like yeah. three different kinds of writing that you're doing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And come to think about yeah. it, that is a lot of writing. <laughs> but, you know, it it all feels really different. Yeah, like the energy that. that goes into it feels really different. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe there's enough of that sort of energetic difference yeah. for it to not feel like I'm writing 24 seven. Mm -hmm. And you're like flexing different muscles. So For sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. That's yeah. great. So we'll dive into the listener question portion of the interview. So the first one is, what are your thoughts on the recently FDA-approved intravenous drug treatment for postpartum depression? Yeah, well, I, I think that anytime we can find ways to support women who are suffering postpartum depression, I think that's a good thing. I'm not a hundred, I'm not too familiar with the recent FDA-approved um, intravenous treatment, so I, I can't speak too specifically about that, but I think anytime we can offer safe and accessible treatment, it's important. I don't know how accessible or how safe this is. Just because it's FDA-approved, it doesn't guarantee either, but I will say that 
in addition to more traditional pharmaceutical and medical interventions, I think it's really important to look at the holistic situation and the holistic reason why women have postpartum depression in the first place. I think there are tons of studies out now that show when women are fully supported in their community, when they're heard, when they have a network of people physically supporting them, emotionally supporting them, bringing food to them, et cetera, et cetera, they tend to do better and there are lower rates of depression, postpartum depression in the first place. I think when primary care physicians or OBGYNs or midwives can do a thorough and adequate screening that isn't just at the typical six-week postpartum checkup, women can get caught or, or not caught. Women can um, not fall through the cracks as easily. So while I think it's important that we have some sort of medical pharmaceutical intervention, I think that we still need to focus on getting to the root cause of the problem Mm -hmm. rather than putting a pharmaceutical sort of band-aid over the situation. Mm -hmm. That said, I think there are situations and where postpartum women have uh, mood disorders severe enough that it does require some sort of pharmaceutical intervention. And I think in those instances, it's really important that women get the care that they need mm-hmm. and not try to fight it or not try to say, no, no, I'm fine when mm-hmm. maybe they aren't fine. So yeah, but that is, I, I would like to know a little bit more about that. Yeah. The FDA yeah, intravenous sure. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I guess the, the next question that we have is, What are your thoughts on the state of Oregon proposing a universal home visiting program? Do you think this could be the future of postpartum health care? I am super curious about this one. I -hmm. I love the idea of having a statewide program where someone can come and check in on the mom and the baby or, or the parents and the baby. That said, I think the details are really important. Mm-hmm. Are they coming in to check on the baby and the well-being of the baby? Or are they coming in to check in on the well-being of the parent who gave birth? I think both are equally important. And right now, I think the attention and focus tends to skew toward making sure the baby is okay, doing everything humanly possible to make sure the baby is thriving. And then the mothers are or the the parents who give birth are sort of left in the dust um, Mm -hmm. to fend for themselves, to heal for themselves, to, to, I don't know, just like to just deal with the aftermath of giving birth themselves. And for some women that aftermath is quite intense. It can be a quite intense experience. So I'd be really curious about the kind of intervention they are proposing and what kind of outcome they're hoping to get. But I think any opportunity for a health provider or a caregiver to come into the home of a new parent has a lot of potential, especially even if the focus is on the baby, like at least the the person who gave birth will have more contact with a health provider Mm -hmm. and can have that opportunity to say, hey, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Can Mm -hmm. you also send someone in for me? I need a lactation support, a lactation provider, or I need some sort of support with my healing or whatever it is, I think. So I think there's promise and, but I'd be Mm -hmm. curious to know more about the details. Yeah. 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 It sounds, it sounds like a great idea, but yeah, it also sounds, um, uh, like we don't know enough yet. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. The next question that we have is: 
How can someone identify they are experiencing postpartum depression and what does that mean? And I know that you've said before that you, you're not technically like a healthcare provider, like you're more of like a, um, I guess an ally and you've shared your own experiences, but in your research, what are some symptoms of postpartum depression? And I know just peripherally from friends after they've given birth, I think at one of their checkups, they take like a questionnaire Mm -hmm. and and that's how the doctors are able to determine if they're experiencing symptoms. But, um, Mm -hmm. I guess, can you speak a little on that? Sure. Um, I, I'll definitely send you some links to to more information about postpartum depression and mood disorders. Okay. That's definitely not my expertise. Mm-hmm. I'm not a medical doctor or even a clinician, psychological clinician. And even with my blog, I tend to focus on physical health and well-being because I just found that that was an area that wasn't addressed as often when it came to postpartum issues. That said, I think a lot of the signs and symptoms can range drastically. A lot of the signs and symptoms used to focus on symptoms like depression and anxiety. So having symptoms like depression, having no interest in things that you used to have, um, feeling like you don't want to get up and go out and do things that you normally would want to do, like go for a walk, having a disinterest in taking care of yourself or even taking care of your baby, maybe even thoughts of harming yourself or your baby um, on the more severe end of the spectrum, having a degree of anxiety that goes beyond just, you know, being a new parent, right? Mm -hmm. And having lots of questions about that, but like having incessant worry and incessant fear that something isn't okay or that might not be okay are fairly common symptoms. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I know there's a wide array of yeah. questions or symptoms, um, so I don't mm. want to say this is the definitive one. Right. But I will say that more and more women are coming out saying, hey, I didn't think I had postpartum depression because I was so focused on signs and symptoms of depression and anxiety but I was having anger I was having rage I was pissed off all the time and those weren't the more quintessential symptoms of postpartum depression so they sort of ruled themselves out of that category Mm -hmm. and more research and more voices are coming out saying no that that's also included in this broader umbrella of postpartum mood disorders so you know, anger and rage can be included in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'll, I'll send you some links okay. and articles about that for your listeners, because I think it's a really important question to ask yourself, like, how do I identify this and how do I get help for it? Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes parents are mothers who just gave birth are written off as just being tired. Like, well, mm-hmm. you're not getting enough sleep. So that's why you're cranky. That's why you're irritable when they know themselves like, no, this this feels more than just being tired. It feels more than just being a little irritated because I didn't get a full night's rest. Yeah. Yeah. I think that also might segue into this next question that we have, which might, I mean, I think it was a misconception for me and it might be a misconception for other people that it might be a symptom of postpartum depression. But can you speak to those who find that they don't bond with their baby right away? Yeah. Um, You know, that's a really complicated question and a really complicated situation because there are a number of reasons why people might not necessarily bond with their baby right away. And I think for me, 
that happened. I didn't bond with my baby right away. I loved him and he was super cute, but Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, I didn't feel that instant connection and instant motherly glow and the instant like unrelenting love that I thought I would have with my son because that's what I was told would happen. Mm-hmm. All of my friends, everyone on TV, like every all the bloggers, they're like, you just, you know, you'll know it. You'll just instantly bond with your child. And I didn't feel that. And I felt a tremendous amount of guilt and shame. And I didn't necessarily want to talk about it with too many people. Um, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was still physically healing from a third degree tear and a really intense labor and delivery and I had a lot of physical pain that wasn't going away as it should have Mm. according to my OBGYN and and focusing on I I tried to focus on my self-healing and I had a really hard time nursing that's another myth Mm. (laughs) for people who don't have kids just yet breastfeeding isn't natural for a lot of women it doesn't come instinctively for a lot of women and for me I like I ended up with like cracked and bleeding nipples and it hurt like hell and it made it really hard for me to want to breastfeed my son which is supposed to be this instinctual natural loving sort of experience and it got better but I had to see like three different lactation consultants Mm -hmm. and I had the help of my postpartum doula which I know is a luxury for someone of my socioeconomic status and so that that's just my personal experience of having a hard time bonding with my child but the reason why I bring it up is I just want people to know that it it's not instinctual for some people and it doesn't happen right away for others and for me it took like several months to feel really bonded with my son and I can't understand or explain why that necessarily happened Mm -hmm. and I can point to the possibilities of having maybe a difficult labor and delivery as a reason but maybe not maybe I would have had like a completely normal uneventful birth and I still just would have had a hard time bonding because I didn't realize how much my identity would shift from Mm. being a non-mother to a mother or a parent, a non-parent to a parent. So I I think that's a really complicated question. And I would just offer my story as a way to say it happens. It happens. It happens to some people and it's Mm -hmm. okay. And it doesn't make you a bad parent. It doesn't make you a bad mother. It doesn't make you a bad person. And you will find ways to bond with your child. And Mm. that's just part of, your journey, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you for answering that. Well, one question I like to ask all of my guests is, what are you looking forward to this week? Ooh, I <laughs> am looking forward to going back to Toronto, my hometown. Oh, nice. Yeah, I get to see a girlfriend of mine, a really good girlfriend of mine. She is actually a month out from giving birth to her own child and I her first one and I wanted to see her and hang out with her um before the baby comes because I know that she's going to be inundated with a new baby and also a bunch of people who want to see her new baby and Mm -hmm. I really just wanted to spend time with her and have quality time with her before all the attention and people and energy come to her house Mm -hmm. um to be with her new baby so yeah I'm really excited for that yeah that's great 
Well, do you have anything that you would like to plug or any resources you would like to share with listeners? Sure. I, of course, I would like to plug my website, Uh mamaonthemen.com, and I will send you the actual link. But on that website, I've also included a couple of links and resources to things like postpartum mood disorders, but also resource and links for things related to postpartum physical healing, because I think that that's an area that we haven't really discussed too much as a society. If And, and I think it's shameful in general that we haven't talked about the needs of the new mom or the new parent. But there's been a little bit more attention towards mood disorders, which is 100% completely deserving. I just feel like there's a lot of physical things that happens to a person after they give birth. And I really think that it's important that we talk about those things so people don't have to live with them in shame or fear or even Mm -hmm. resentment. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, great. Well, Yuka, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Well, to learn more about Yuka's work and other topics we've covered on this episode, head over to our website, brilliantbabespodcast.com, where you can also listen to previous episodes, check out our event calendar, and get the recipes for the dishes we make for each episode. Today's recipe was vegetarian quinoa chili. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and stay tuned for episodes every other Tuesday. Take care, everyone.